Today our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 1, and if you have your Bible with you this morning, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. If you're turning to the church Bible that's available in the pew for you, you'll find it on page 1588, page 1588, Luke chapter 1. And this morning we're going right back to the earliest mention of the Christmas story when Gabriel comes to Mary and for the first time she hears and understands what's about to take place. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will be and you will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, will have, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. All across the world this morning, children have been waking up excited because at long last, Santa has been. Across the street from where we live is a six-and-a-half-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. And I phoned them this morning around nine o'clock just as I was leaving and they couldn't hold a conversation with me. 
all I could get was, I got a book, I got a soccer ball, I got a dolly. And it went on and on, just so excited. And what a spectacular day Christmas is for us when we rejoice with children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren the wonders of Christmas. And to gather this Christmas morning here in a place of worship and hear again the splendor of all that took place all those centuries ago and to be reminded of the power and transformation that God brings into our lives. It's a remarkable day. Just remarkable. Over the last four Sundays, we have spent our Sunday mornings in Advent looking at some of the main characters over the Christmas season. And we spent our first Sunday with Joseph, looking at how Joseph made sense of all that was taking place and how angry and upset he was in those initial days when he discovered Mary was expecting. And then, of course, God broke into his life and his life was never to be the same again. We noted similarly with the Magi and then yesterday with the shepherds and this morning we come to Mary. And this morning I'd like you please to use your imagination. And I want you to ask you this morning to be a TV personality, an interviewer on 60 Minutes or a late night talk show, and you have the exclusive interview that the media would give the right arm for. And you have the opportunity to sit down for 60 minutes with Mary and to ask her what took place when Gabriel appeared to her and said, you are to have a child. And the child you will have will come from God as the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and will plant in your womb a child who would be called Son of the Most High God. Now pause for a moment and think, what would your questions be? And I suspect if you were anything like me, you would start scribbling them out on a yellow legal pad, and then you would scrap those questions and put them to one side as you refine and polish the questions. And you would ask your editor and producer, now, what questions can I ask? What questions can I not ask? I don't want to cross the line here. How deeply can I probe? Am I allowed to ask the questions that no one else has asked? That would be quite an experience to sit down with Mary and say, now Mary, take us back. Explain what happened that first day when right out of the blue, there was no burning bush, there was no writing in the sky, you were aware of Gabriel. How did you feel? And imagine her response. What would she say? Well, what we know from Luke's Gospel is this, that Luke was a close friend of the Apostle Paul. And New Testament scholars tell us this, that towards the end of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul was arrested for his faith. 
He spent approximately two years in jail in a place called Caesarea, not that far from Jerusalem. If you go to Caesarea today, it's still there. You can see the ruins of what was one of the great and ancient cities. And you can go to where Paul was held in prison. You can see the ruins right there. And Luke's Gospel, New Testament scholars tell us, is when Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea at that time, his friend Luke spent that time interviewing the people who were there. And Luke tells us that at the beginning of his gospel. He says, I have investigated for myself all that took place. And I have interviewed those who were, and let me give you the language, eyewitnesses. They were there. And Luke unlike Matthew and Mark and John, has more of Mary than any other gospel writer. And I imagine Luke sitting down with Mary and saying, now tell me, what was it truly like? And here she is, young adult, full of dreams and hopes, wondering, what is her life going to be like? Made plans with Joseph, to get married, to start a family, planning their home, full of excitement and wonder. And then the angel Gabriel arrives and the passage tells us that what he said troubled her. And you can imagine why. Because Mary is now thinking in her mind, why is this taking place? And why is this taking place to me? And what am I going to tell Joseph? And what on earth is going on here? There's a lot taking place right here. Gabriel reassures her and calms her heart and mind and soul. And I think from that moment on, Mary was accelerated into an experience with a living God she could not have envisaged if she'd lived to be a thousand years old. And suddenly, intimacy and transformation in her mind and soul and heart were a living reality for her. And she goes off to meet her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth, of course, is much older But when they meet, there's no sense of a generation gap at all. You can envisage these two ladies throwing their arms around each other and saying, look at you. Can you imagine what's happened over the last few months? Just thrilled and excited with all that's taking place. And please notice what happens here. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. Just leapt for joy. Think of the family memories. Today, some of us will be making family memories with children and grandchildren around the dinner table. And in 25 and 30 years, they will look back to this afternoon and they will remember all that took place. Can you imagine what it was like to sit around the dining table in Jesus' home as He was growing up? with Mary and Joseph and his brothers and sisters. Think of those memories. And over in the corner, there might be a cupboard. And high on the shelf would be gifts 
that children wouldn't be allowed to touch. And there would be gold and frankincense and myrrh. And those stories would be told again and again and live in family memories. When I was about 13, one of my favorite aunts, my mother was one of 13 in her family, 11 boys and two girls. Excuse me, it was the other way around, two boys and 11 girls. And you can imagine being raised in that home. Try using the bathroom then early in the morning. And when my Aunt Teresa, she was the youngest of the 13, she was probably about 12 or 15 years older than I am, she was to have a baby and my grandmother had moved in with them for a couple of days to help with all that needed to be arranged for the birth of a child. And when the baby was coming, my aunt told my grandmother, and my grandmother picked up the phone. She dialed 99, well, it was in Scotland then, 999-991, and she said, this is my daughter speaking, I'm about to have a baby. (laughs) And here was Granny just so excited, she couldn't contain herself. And you can imagine the receptionist on the other side of the line saying, yes, I'll put you through to the maternity ward. And they arranged it all, and the baby was fine. And now, of course, he's in his late 30s, early 40s. Strange things happen when you're about to have a child. But the strange thing in Luke's Gospel is this. There is no talk of what color the nursery was to be. And there was no talk of gifts among the family member for the child, of what the crib would be like, of what size of a buggy. I suspect all of that took place in the background. But what is striking in this passage is the words from Mary, where she is so caught up in the presence of God and her heart instinctively leaps as she says, and my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's the heart and soul of Christmas right there because she understood what was taking place. Right there. This past September, I was privileged to journey to Jerusalem with a group here from First Presbyterian. And one of the amazing sights, of course, is what is called the Western Wall in downtown Jerusalem. And if you've ever seen pictures of it, you'll remember it, where Jewish males will stand there and rock back and forward. And many of them will write out their prayer requests and put it in the prayer wall. And most of you will have seen it on National Geographic or in photographs somewhere. But if you go off to the right-hand side and go round a little again, you come to the southern steps. And the southern steps is nowhere near as famous as the western wall. And it runs for about 200 feet. And there's about 15 or 20 of them. They're fairly shallow steps, although they're deep, so you can't run up them, and that's quite deliberate. You had to take your time going up those steps. And on the left-hand side, on that southern wall, it's bricked up today, but you can still see the top of the arch that was originally there. And you can see the edges of the original wall, bricked up today, as I've said, and you can stand right there and look up and see the arch. And it's the same arch that was there in the first century. 
And that gate was called the commoner's gate. If you were a member of the Sanhedrin or a member of a Pharisee or a Sadducee or you were the mayor of Jerusalem, you could go into one of the other doors. But this was the commoner's door. And that door was there for ordinary, everyday people. And Mary and Joseph would have walked up those steps and gone through that door. Now, when you go to Israel, you have a broad sense of where things took place. And tour guides will say to you, we think approximately here, it's within a couple of hundred yards, but not the commoner's gate. It's right there. You can touch it and see it and feel and sense. And in your imagination, you can go back all those years and you know for a fact that on the eighth day, Mary and Joseph carried this wee boy through that gate And when they went through that gate and stood on the other side, an older man called Simeon approached them, took the Christ child in his arms and said, Father, you can now dismiss your servant in peace because I have at last seen your salvation. And it took place right there. Talk of family memories Talk of looking back and enjoying all that took place. And my prayer this morning for you is this, that in the rest of this Christmas day, in the rest of this season, you will be able to know the reality of Mary's prayer. And you can say from your heart and mind and soul, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit Spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's the reality of Christmas Day. And may it be a living reality for each one of us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the wonder of this season, for all of the fun and the festivities and the food we will enjoy later today all of the thrill and the happiness in our homes. But above all, Father, our prayer is this, that we would rest and relish in our relationship with You, the living God. And thank You that You have come into this world that we might know Your salvation, to be transformed by You, and to be able to celebrate the wonder of this Christmas day. Father, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.